Hey, you're listening to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and so want to make Him the centre of our lives, our community and our world. We're going to learn how to do that right now as we sit down and unpack Sunday's sermon. Here we are, guys. Mitch has turned to MC. That's it. MC Mitch. Yeah, here we are. Uh, here on a Thursday. Actually, it's a fun fact. Today is my 10-year wedding anniversary. Many uh, happy returns. Yeah. So we we had a burger from the cafe at home. That was huge. <laughs> Look, you, uh, you sure know how to treat, treat, treat a girl good. Uh, we, took, we went out. We took, I took Monday off and Love we uh, went in the city. Nice one. Which was nice. So, yeah, I feel old now. Mm. And when we're hanging out in the art gallery, Rachel, in her normal creative state, took lots of photos. And um, she took a photo of me, like, like close up. I look old. Like just, uh, and she deliberately left unedited. I was like, there's a lot of wrinkles that went there. She usually photoshops your photos? Well, yeah, just sort of edits it. But she left yeah. it like, didn't edit it like, yeah, in yeah. the raw. Yeah. And like, you know, on your close up, you see all the imperfections. I, like, I really like that. Just this reminder of like, yeah, 10 mm. years on, mm. it's only age. A lot yeah. more wrinkles and gray hair than... yeah. When I was married as Mitch, a 24-year-old. You are also the youngest you will ever be today. <laughs> <laughs> right now. That's true. So. It's, 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 it's only getting older from here. Yeah. So uh, 10 years of marriage, what, would you, um, what advice would you give to Mitch 10 years ago for marriage? Um, or what have you learnt? Yeah, probably not stress as much. Hmm. Probably stress about a lot of things hmm. that didn't need to. Which at the time seemed really important, like stuff about money and job and where we'd live. Like we'd kind of had lots of sort of mm. long nights and, mm. yeah, sleepless nights sometimes, just sort of really uncertain. Because when we were married, um, I was at Bible college and, yeah, so wasn't really working. Mm. Getting paid to preach every now and then. Yeah. And then, yeah, so, so I just didn't know where God was leading us. So and I'd be like, ah, stress less, man. It all kind of works out. Mm. <laughs> that would be mm. my yeah. advice. And to, yeah, enjoy not having kids. I think mm. that was probably, mm. sort of took a little bit for granted. And now mm. I'm like, oh, mm. yeah. So I'm glad that we did build a lot of time into our marriage pre-kids mm. and mm. sort of, yeah, having to learn those new routines now. So I love my kids, but yeah, mm. it does change the dynamic. Yeah. Tremendously. Yeah. yeah. Even having one kid, you can kind of operate as a sort of couple still. You got a little bit of freedom too. Yeah. But three, it becomes a bit of a different ballpark. So broke, broke the bank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <market>. yeah. <laughs> and then, so like, I love how then when I talk to people who are a little bit further along the marriage path that they look back at the years in which their kids were really little and that's like their favorite years yeah <laughs> so it's like the other thing that like is like ah oh, this is like also the best yeah well, <laughs> taylor two cities was the best of times yes, was the worst was of times time. yeah. but maybe that's crime and punishment anyway i'm no, sorry for our narrative our, our readers out there who are yeah. into it it's, it's from something maybe no, just maybe t.s Eliot. who no, knows no. <laughs> charles dickens no, no. But yeah, yeah. It, is yeah. Very, it is very interesting. Don't stress. Don't stress. Mm. It's, uh, yeah. I, th- I think that's like a reoccurring theme throughout the Bible, right? To... Yeah. Fear not. Don't be anxious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think the Bible says it so much because we are prone to get anxious mm. about lots of things. So mm. yeah, there's probably a few times, particularly in, um, yeah, I remember one moment in particular, Rachel, when we first were married, she got a job as a travel agent, which pays really poorly. I guess basically like minimum wage and you mm. get your money from commissions mm. and the 
goals aren't just selling oh, X amount of flights. It's like, yeah, you have to make this. I can't remember what the, the target was. You mm. had to make the target. It had to be within like uh, like certain parameters. Mm. So one month, Rachel got her sales targets, but mm. it wasn't within premise. So she didn't get any other commission because well, she was all in flights. So it wasn't anyway. It was, so she got this job, which it was a bit of a God moment. We prayed about it at church and she got this interview and just before the three-month probation, they let it go. And we're like, oh, we just signed this new lease. Mm. Yeah, and so, yeah, just moments like that of like real testing and having to go, okay, when Jesus says seek first the kingdom, the rest will come. I'm like, okay. Mm. Just, like, so mm. kind of, yeah, live out the faith. Mm. And yeah. yeah, and so like and I've seen like throughout God's always sort of provided mm. and sometimes last moment and sometimes like well in advance. So, mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah. So good. I think also like even just the way that God also uses things which at the time seem insignificant or irrelevant. Mm. And then you look back at it and you're like, oh man, I'm so glad that I, you know, was managed to spend time doing that job that I hated actually in hindsight. Or so glad that we were able to live in that really like, you know, awful apartment so Mm. that we now like appreciate where we're at or whatever. It's quite interesting how God God is, um, you know, a very uh, holistic chef. He uses the whole animal. (laughs) Yeah. um, All the the bits of your life, even the snout. (laughs) Definitely. Um, for our next seven series, which will be next Sunday, gosh, um, doing one Samuel, mm. and I was reading a commentary about like David was prepared to become king by his trials. Mm. Like that's how he was trained. Mm. And it was basically making the point as like the trials in life training us for whatever. And I was like, yeah, it's very true. We, yeah, that's how you make tea out of boil water. There's no flavor if you just chuck a tea a tea bag into cold water. It's mm. quite miserable. So yeah. It's under the yeah. pressure that yeah. we make diamonds. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Hey, so, <laughs> um, but Murray, you picked a ah. Oh, look, you should tell the story because there's a bit of background to this. Yeah, why you picked this passage? Originally. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty boring story to be honest. It's just uh, yeah, for college had uh, for preaching class, uh, yeah, assessment where I could choose any passage from the Bible that was a story or an epistle, like at one of the letters. Um, so this for me, as I said, you know, on Sunday and in the pastor's desk last Friday is, yeah, just for me, the most challenging passage in the New Testament, because yeah, it, it, it does seem inconsistent, um, in a lot of ways on face value with Mm. the story, with the gospel, with, yeah, just even just what our understanding is of, of God interacting with his people and how he interacts with sin. Um, so it didn't make sense to me. So I was like, oh, I want to like dive into that a bit more and see what people who are a lot smarter than me and, you know, have studied this passage for a lot longer have to say in commentaries and yeah, try and sort of pick out uh, some clarity in all of this. Mm. So yeah. Um, yeah. So like kind of did it, did it for class and then thought, well, you know, let's, let's work smarter, not harder. <laughs> so I, I did, I did sort of go a little bit deeper for Sunday cause we were limited to 20 minutes in class, which I kind of shared maybe, maybe wasn't enough time to unpack this passage, yeah. but thankfully there was uh, nobody up the back with a bell stopping me at 19 or telling me at 19 minutes. <laughs> there was only one minute left. So I'm not sure if that's conducive to the best sermons, but um, yeah. So it was really fun being able to look at different people's, um, yeah, views and little things that they pick out in it. And yeah, as I kind of said to a few people afterwards, I'm not, I'm not sure if it necessarily makes the entire passage make 
perfect sense, mm-hmm. but maybe it sheds a bit more light on it and at least shows mm. that it's not a outlier in the way mm. that God works. So, yeah. Um, my I haven't actually preached this passage, but I've like used it in the context of comparing, like when people compare Old Testament God versus New Testament mm. God. I was like, well, the fear of the Lord is a big part of Proverbs and mm. like the Old Testament. And mm. yeah, when Ananias and Sapphira struck down, there's a fear of God that's... Mm. So it's like, yeah, it... it it, it, like you said, it is consistent with God in the Old Testament, as you pointed out. It's Adam and Eve, um, Nahab and Abihu. I can never say their names right. Uh, yeah. Um, Achan. Yeah. Uh, the guy who touched the Ark of the Covenant. I'm going to Google his name now because yeah. I've forgotten it. There's 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 moments where people do something. They either defile a holy space and are mm. struck down mm. or commit an act of sin that's wrong. and. Mm. What I liked in your sermon I was listening to is how you identified it was like a new epochs mm. of salvation history. Mm. So obviously Eden, um, yeah, the establishing of Torah and yeah. Tabernacle and entering the promised land. There's these moments where, yeah, I, I found that really helpful. It's like, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Like there's almost these higher expectations of these new moments, higher acts yeah. of God's mercy, but also his judgment. Yeah. Yeah, if, if that's how God operated today, I feel like there'd be a lot of dead bodies <laughs> outside yeah. our churches each week. Yeah, totally. And it's sort of, you know, um, like the idea of when a seedling is first coming up out of the soil, you know, it's um, much more vulnerable to being trodden on or to being overwatered or whatever, and it uh, will stop the entire tree from being able to grow. And mm. when something is more established and has roots, it can be more sort of... Um, yeah, it's, it's able to withstand a lot more. Um, and even this idea that from that tree, more fruit can come, which can propagate and spread mm. that. Whereas, yeah, I found that an interesting idea and parallel as well. And I think that for me, um, although I'd be careful to you know compare certain um, moments in our church or certain new ministries that have started um, to any of these sort of mm. epic moments of, of new chapters of God's story. I think it is really insightful for us when we're entering a new season in whatever capacity, whether it's, you know, a new season of life as married or with a kid or as a grandparent or whatever it is, or whether it's a new work environment, a new ministry at church, um, setting that culture from the beginning. Cause I think that it's, obviously not the Mm. only thing, but I think Mm. that that's a big part of each of these stories that God is establishing something new that is meant to be set apart and holy and for his glory. Um, And that each of these characters actions are compromising or jeopardizing the wider culture Mm. um, of that people. Um, You know, Adam and Eve, I think we can be a bit guilty of thinking, Oh, okay. They're just these two standalone people in the garden with God. But ultimately they were the mother and father of all humankind. Mm. So it was a maybe culture of people who weren't there yet. Mm. Um, But we can understand just from like modern day, how important the culture that a mother and father set in a family can Mm. really flow down. Um, But yeah, in each of the other stories, it's, it's a group of people. It's a church. It's a nation who are going to go off step and fall away from God's track Mm. if they continue to be led by these people in this direction. Um, So, yeah, I think it says a lot about the importance of culture and the importance that each of us now play as Mm. a priesthood of believers to 
yeah, create and foster culture that is positive. And, you know, there's a kind of old Jewish saying that it only takes one dumb donkey to tear down a barn, but <laughs> it takes a lot more than one dumb donkey to build a barn. Yeah. You know, it's very easy to tear down culture. Mm. Yeah. Um, just reflecting on that, I was just doing a bit of research before we started. And one commentator linked to this story with Aiken, which you had obviously mm. already made that link. And for those who don't know, Aiken kept the treasure from Jericho mm. and hid under his tent. Then when the Israelites went to war at Ai, they were defeated. And mm. so, yeah, and this so this commentator links what was called harem. Um, like, basically, items were devoted to Yahweh mm. to be destroyed. Mm. And so, yeah, it's a little bit like, I want to say ad hoc. Sometimes it's like everything needs to be wiped out. Sometimes it's just the animals. Sometimes, yeah. Mm. But... What seems to be the case here is that what the church was doing is almost like sort of a re- almost a reverse harem. Is like they're, they're not destroying things for warfare. It's they're selling off their earthly possessions for kingdom value. So therefore, it has it's been sanctified, sacred mm. to God, and that's why they were killed. Mm. It's not necessarily because they were greedy, which I th- I think for me. I can relate to that because obviously I understand that with the Aiken passage. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. Aiken, he knew that he was not meant to have any of this stuff. Mm. He wasn't meant to lord it in his heart. Mm. And so it was similar there with Onias and Sapphira, which is, I guess, I find Acts challenging too because you see like Barnabas selling his, as which I had no idea, which I found very like mm. insightful about the levite burial ground he basically mm. was like oh i don't care where i'm buried i'm gonna i can be like yeah yeah my hope is in something great. yeah yeah, yeah. that was really cool was yeah for, for him it's like that that's like the example of like well we're not meant to worry mm. a nice and so far as example of what not to be i find mm. challenging for us today because we don't operate our churches in that capacity mm. like we think it was a bit odd if we were getting people to be selling homes and mm. yeah in fact, um, I have a story. I have an uncle who at one point was going to become a Pentecostal pastor and he was going to go to Bible college. And they, part of joining this particular college back in the 80s was to sell a house. And mm-hmm. he's like, I can't do that. And mm-hmm. So he never went. Wow. So, yeah. There's, yeah. So I find Acts, yeah, challenging because is it describing how we're meant to continue yeah. or is it prescribing? Yeah. Well, it's really interesting because, like, obviously Peter himself says in the passage, you know, that the the money was already yours Mm. um, when he's sort of chastising them. Mm. Um, And this kind of idea is that it's not the fact that they were required to give Mm. any money to the church here. Like, that's that's quite clear. Um, There's obviously the idea that they have lied and so, you know, blasphemed the spirit. Mm. But... The thing that's really interesting that um, one commentator pointed out was the element of pride to it, mm. that ultimately they said that they had given the full amount to look good in mm. the eyes mm. of the church. And I sometimes wonder, um, and I'm pretty confident that God isn't going to strike you down for doing yeah. this, but I sometimes wonder how often we do things within church context or even mm. outside in our lives um, not because it's the right thing to do, not because it's what God desires us to do, but in hopes that we receive glory from people, that they mm. think we look good. Um, and I think that, yeah, that is a just really, 
I think, challenging check for a lot of us when we think about why are we doing things, what are our motives and intentions. And um, I think we can, we both can think of people that do things, even in church or just um, outside, you know, it's just for ticking boxes. It's to, like, look good on social media. It's to... Yeah. Yeah. Um, Once a year, Rachel watches Gilmore Girls, Mm. and there's uh, one episode where one of the characters, Rory, she wants to go to Yale. Mm. And then she realises that at Yale, good grades don't matter. Because mm. everyone who goes to Yale has good grades. You sure. need to sh- do like volunteers. So she's like yeah. desperately trying to do as much volunteer work as yeah. possible. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. she has because uh, she wants to look good. Yeah. And then there's another character called Paris who's been doing volunteer work since she was like, you know, a kid. Because that was like always her dream to go to to Yale. Mm. Too. And so it's like, this isn't because you have a heart for this. It's just because you... Yeah. And that's that, yeah. I think something that we can, all of us, are a little bit guilty of in mm. some way or another, whether it be church ministry, whether it be just stuff around the home, or even the workplace too, mm. of trying to look better, doing things yeah. for us to look better. And so, yeah, yeah there's sure. lots of things. I was, when we, before we started recording, we're like, ah, let's see where the Spirit leads us. Mm. So actually, start, actually can draw a number of applications out oh, from yeah. this passage. It seems like just something really harsh and, yeah. oh, man, that's awful. Let's just keep reading to the good stuff. But yeah, yeah, actually yeah. starts to dig deeper into yeah, how we, our greed, yeah. Our, yeah, our pride, our persona. And so I see God's word, as Paul said, is God's breathe and mm. it's full for teaching, rebuking and training in for sure and i think also like you and i have both spoken about before how we can somewhat uh glorify or romanticize the early church in acts Mm. um but i think there is something beautiful in the way that they shared all their possessions Mm. now don't hear me wrong i'm not sort of advocating for a socialist church in where you know we we, we share all of our possessions Mm. but i think that spirit of not just generosity um, but mutual sharing mm. um, in the idea that when one sort of prospers and flourishes, we all p- prosper mm. and flourish. And when one is struggling, we all struggle. Mm. Um, I think that that is something that in a very individualistic capitalist culture, we can look at as something that is actually aligned with God's heart of wanting to mm. be more selfless, more generous, and ultimately always be looking to how we can yeah connect and support mm. one another and encourage each other. And Mm. I think that, hey, don't get me wrong, like I think an encouraging text, I think that, you know, a prayer of exhortation, I think all these things are really important. I think sometimes it really is like feet on the ground, like hands in the dirt, you know, like making meals for people, you know, maybe, you know, helping people in some way materially, whether it's like finance, whether it's, you know, something that they need, helping them fix something that might be broken. These sort of things, I think, end up in the long term being a lot more impactful. Mm. I think we are embodied beings. And I think while we really appreciate and love words of encouragement Mm. and these sort of spiritual exaltations, I think really doing life together and helping people out in, you know, the the highs and lows is something that our church does do really well. But Mm, I think that mm. we can continue to strive to do it better. And I think that um, we can definitely look to certain people within our church who maybe do it better than others. Mm. Um, And yeah, just kind of be encouraged in this, Mm. not sort of as a way of shaming, but as a way of this is... Although, yeah, we can be a bit guilty of romanticizing this era of the church. I think there is a structure and a paradigm here that we could benefit from in continuing to try to emulate more fully. 
Yeah, in, in many ways I've read about acts is that they're living in almost a, a jubilee sort of stage. Mm. And so for those who don't know, jubilees, the 50th, so every seven years debts were wiped. Yeah. And if you had to sell your land to kind of get out of debt for whatever reason, on the 50th year it returned back to the family. Mm. And so, yeah, like acts has sort of set up the template of with like Pentecost, the nation's coming. There's a mm. sense of like the prophetic hope is happening and now... Um, yeah, we're seeing people living, like, as Torah being fulfilled, Jesus is the fulfillment of law. Yeah. And so in that, there's no poor person. Torah says that, hey, if you're obedient, there will be no poor among you. Don't worry yeah. about this stuff. God will yeah. bless you. And I almost see that as a bit of a, to use N.T. Wright's famous line, a signpost yeah. to the destination. Like This is a sort of a foreshadowing of yeah. what the kingdom will look like in its fullness of people who are like, oh, well, you know, I don't need my own stuff. Let's yeah. all share it and be, everyone has their own house and food mm. and like everyone's well looked after. Yeah. And I think like speaking about N.T. Wright and those signposts, he um, said something really interesting, which I couldn't, I couldn't find the quote that I had copied somewhere, but it's essentially this idea that if you are going to truly invoke the full power of the Holy Spirit, you need to be careful of what that fully entails. Mm. And it's this idea that I think, um, yeah, I know I do, and I would hope that many others and, mm. and all of our church sort of really desires a greater manifestation of the Holy Spirit mm. um, among us. And this idea that we see time and time again throughout Scripture that the Holy Spirit is, you know, as in the words of Mitch, you know, not a genie, you know, or a vending mm -hmm. machine. There is this sort of dual duality to it, two sides of the same coin of, you know, if the Holy Spirit, who by his very name is holy and set apart, is being invoked and being asked to come upon and act powerfully. Well, his very holiness is not going to put up with sin. Mm. And I would say that although this moment of Ananias and Sapphira is set apart, I have heard multiple times of moments in churches where people who were negative to the culture were sort mm. of stripped out or, or, you know, felt for whatever way mm. to be taken away so that the culture there could actually be transformed mm. into one that was truly edifying. Mm. Um, and I think that, yeah, this is a very extreme version of what Paul talks about in a lot of his letters, that if there's somebody in the church who, you know, essentially isn't repentant, yeah, um, yeah to like kick them out, mm. which I'm like, whew, like, you know, even, even Paul's exhortation there is pretty brutal. Like yeah. I know there would be a lot more churches in Sydney that are continuing mm. to allow people's sins that they are very aware of in the church rather than to actually even just confront them about yeah. it. Um, and there's there's a hard line there um, and you, all, you want to do all things in love. Mm. But I wonder what is our response uh, in a community when sin is, is evident in, in some mm. ways lives and how are we as brothers and sisters in Christ? And again, I think a deep relationship of trust uh, built up over a long mm. time is what's going to make a loving correction more powerful yeah. um, and more impactful. But yeah, what are we doing to make sure that as a community that yeah we don't have sin rampant we don't have mm. sin which is yeah you know twisting and distorting and corrupting our community and how do we continue to hold each other to account mm. in a way that is still loving and mm. encouraging yeah um it's one of the things now church discipline's sort of gone the way of the dodo in mm. many ways and 
Yeah. I guess that's one of the perks about church membership is you sort of are submitting to the guidelines of scripture mm. and the church. And yeah, and I think as we've gotten even more individualistic as a society, there's this sense of like, you can't tell me what mm. to do. I do remember as a child um, a few times, like, because dad was a deacon, like he still is actually. Um, yeah, having to deal with church disciplinary issues, which got pretty messy. Cause it was sure. Like we're talking like adultery, like you know, someone yeah. committing adultery, and yeah, but look, so far I look very rarely have had to kind of do stuff like that. But I guess when Paul and was again, about Mitch, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, no, I'm very happy to. <laughs> very happy I haven't had to. But um, yeah, I think when Paul's from expelling, that's like last resort. So yeah, it's not like the first response. Um, yeah, yeah. But like I, I look at the the Jesus model for like resolving conflict. See, mm-hmm. it's similar like with Paul. Like, hey, try to do it one on one, then you get someone else, and then like if there's a yeah, if there's a lack of repentance in that. And I think that's the marker of a genuine. Like, uh, going back to Samuel, um, what commentators know is the difference between Saul and David. I think few of us have a view of David as well. I certainly did until I went to college that David's only sin was Bathsheba actually sightsees life there's a yeah he's certainly not perfect by any means but mm. the difference between him and Saul was that David repented when Nathan mm. confronted him about Bathsheba he's yeah. like ah like I'm sorry like mm. he repents he yeah he writes that really Psalm good. 51 where Saul like he's upset but he never actually repents a bit like Judas Judas was like upset goes mm. hangs himself he never actually repents so mm. yeah um, and that was another thing too like there's a sort of a connection here of Judas almost the, the greed for money ends mm. up in death which mm. yeah especially like from Luke's gospel point of view he's pretty like anti-rich people you know so like throughout yeah. he's like really yeah, so I sure. suppose to continuing acts he kind of keeps that sort of message of home as like wealth and greed aren't no are no longer the signs of Yahweh's blessing yeah. on people it's actually those that are poor and obedient they're the ones who are blessed it's not wealth isn't just a, a status symbol of yeah your righteousness yeah anymore no for sure mm. i think like the other thing about this passage is um i think that like you and i both like it's important for us to occasionally check our privilege in the way that we have the capacity to spend so much more time yeah. in these scriptures than the average person, mm. you know, like part of our job, like we get paid to do mm. this as well, which is man, like what an yeah, honor and cool. what a privilege. But it does mean that in reality, the, you know, average person who's working nine to five, 40 plus hours a week, um, doesn't really have the same sort of capacity to do this sort mm. of deep dive. Um, and yeah, I think that one thing that we can sort of start to become a bit, hmm, almost desensitized to is I think when like we see it uh, or listen to a sermon like this, um, just fully understanding of like the amount of work that went into it. And I'm actually talking about like the scholars whose work yeah, I, yeah. I read, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like I'm not, I'm not patting myself on the back here. I'm talking about like literally... Yes. I, I I was scrolling and, and control finding yeah, through yeah, people's, yeah. you know, 70 plus page like theses and mm. different commentaries. And then like that in and of itself. Now I will just say, hey, like I worked a bit hard for this kind of thing um, is a lot of work as well as, you know, you do, Mitch, every time you preach, you know. 
And I think that I suppose what I would say to somebody who, yeah, maybe feels a little bit overwhelmed, like how am I supposed to be able to wrestle with scripture in this way? Mm. I think that um, this sort of study in this way can be a really like high octane injection of like Mm. studied scripture. But really, I think a lot of these revelations come over a very long time of continuing to meditate on scripture, Mm. of really having it in your bones and knowing Mm. the stories inside and out, even to the point of different adages and Mm. sort of phraseology and and little sort of what what can seem in the moment as Mm. insignificant moments. And then as we're coming back to these stories again and again and again, um, being able to suddenly see links. And one Mm. example was even after, you know, the sermon on Sunday, um, I was chatting to Thomas Berry and he was like, you know, as you were talking about like all this, I was also thinking about the flaming sword outside the Garden of Eden mm. and how that is once again fire by death, right? Mm. Or death by fire, mm-hmm. as in if they ever want to return yep. into the Garden of Eden, return into life eternal, they'll need to pass through a flaming sword. And I'm like, ah, oh, I, I think that you're totally spot on. Like, mm. I think that's 100%. Like we see that fire is also part of the judgment mm. of death for Adam and Eve in like Mm. the first sort of iteration of this story. Um, And so I think in that, I say one thing like meditation in scripture Mm. and continuing to come back to it and getting it in your bones and knowing it deeply, but also like having these kind of conversations in community, both Mm. the public reading of scripture and, you know, being able to sit down or, you know, walk with other brothers and sisters in Christ because, no single sort of commentary like shed all the light on Mm. this passage. And I don't think any single Christian is going to have the full revelation of every link and hyperlink and intricacy Mm. of scripture. Um, And just encouraging that, that one, it's a journey and two, it's a communal journey of Mm. continuing to, yeah, try and figure out what is going on in passages and how it's all connected. The only thing I remember from preaching class was don't go to your favorite rabbi. Mm. That was like the advice is just don't go to the people you like for commentaries. Yeah. Like read widely. And I think for me, yeah, the last probably 10 years since, yeah, it's been 10 years since I started Bible college. Um, yeah, being challenged by that to read more widely. Even mm. people that I fundamentally disagree with. I'm like, hmm, yeah, I can see where you get your interpretation from, but I disagree with it. It's like, sure. also, like, so it's not just yeah. hearing echo chamber of, yeah. Mm. what I think is right. One of the things that was, I, I can't find the quote, but I remember it from Old Testament when we did Samuel, when Uzziah, that's his name, is struck down for touching the ark when it yeah, comes off the cart, mm. is that someone wrote, if you were going to make this stuff up, you wouldn't put a story like this in there. Mm. And I think of that with Anias and Sapphira. If you're going to, yeah, that's often the accusation. Oh, you know, it's all a bit more made up. And da 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 da. Mm. Like, if you're trying to like encourage people to follow a religion you know is false, you wouldn't stick a narrative like this in there. Yeah, <laughs> you would. You would cut out those chapter five from one to to eleven and just keep going on from where Barnabas and the yeah. apostles doing signs. But yeah, we actually see it here. Like Luke's put this in here for a reason, and that is to teach us. And to make us pause and to reflect of like, yeah, we mm. are in the new covenant, but we yeah. still worship the same God from the Old Testament, who is mm. a holy God. And yeah. despite, look, there's a bit of debate, uh, uh, yeah, briefly reading about where Anais and Sapphira were like 
born again, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Like, were they Christian? Weren't they? Like, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. I can't answer that. But yeah. Yeah, like, obviously, of course, Jesus has taken our sin and judgment. But yeah, mm. there's still sometimes in this lifetime consequences for our sins. Mm. That, yeah, just because Jesus has forgiven us doesn't mean that we get away scot, scot free. Yeah, so. yeah. Should we go on, on or sinning all the more? Not at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mingonoito. That's yeah, the yeah, only yeah. bit of Greek I remember, by no means. <laughs> yeah, no, it is, I think, a really, um, I think, good challenge to be reminding that there is a level-handedness in the way that we are living under grace, but that's mm. not to sort of, yeah, take yeah, advantage of it. Not make a cheap grace. Dietrich yeah. Bonhoeffer talks about that, yeah. like a cheap grace. And yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, something that I think all of us need to wrestle with. Mm. And it is um it is a challenge of being saved by not by Nick that we do is that yeah, our works aren't there to impress God. They're there as fruit of what's happened within mm. our hearts. Mm. So Yeah. Yeah. So good. So mm. good. Well, look, man, we are uh, going into uh, uh, another week of preachers' picks. Um, uh, <laughs> go, go, going, going through the old, the old archives, archives slash only a few months ago, and uh, yeah, doing bringing up some stuff that I was able to look at in the Book of John. So, looking at the conversation that Jesus and Nicodemus have in in John three, a pretty well known mm. passage. Um, but I really want to sort of nail down and focus on the idea of the bronze serpent mm. that Moses raises. Um, once again, a bit of a, I don't know, I think confusing sort of story back in numbers. Yeah, it's pretty weird. It's a pretty weird story. It's pretty weird. Um, and definitely, I think you and I were kind of talking off air, one which without Jesus's exegesis in John 3, I think would continue to make zero sense to me. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> um, so yeah, that should be um, really fun. And then mm. we're going into a series uh, looking at Samuel over yeah. the rest of the so, semester. As we, as we get ready for um, Christmas, we're going to look at Samuel, but how the book of Samuel points us to Jesus. So mm. there'll be some passages which really link in with Christmas. So Hannah's song. Mm-hmm. Like Mary kind of riffs off that, so that's the easy one. But yeah. others will be more, yeah, broadly Jesus. So when the Israelites want a king, mm. it's like mirrored in with like we have no king but Caesar. Like essentially, yeah. Mm. So yeah, I'm really excited. Um, Samuel is a great book, mm. challenging book. So mm. yeah, Love so it. it should be lots of fun. So prepare us for Christmas and reflecting upon Jesus. Man, can't believe it's almost already October. I know, it will I be know. the first on Sunday. <laughs> I know. Oh, daylight saving, everyone. Oh, I hate daylight saving. I love it. Oh, I can't wait. Like, Come on. Like, trying to get kids down is a nightmare. <laughs> it's like, you know, 8 o'clock at night, it's bright light. And, yeah. yeah. This sunny, warm afternoons. You can't <laughs> beat it. You can't <laughs> beat it. <laughs> first week, I'm like a grump. Ah, and then by the end of the first week, I'm happy. <laughs> well, well uh, I look forward to seeing you in uh, in two weeks' time. <laughs> when you have but also look forward to seeing all you guys on Sunday. We'll uh, see you there. See you, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.